Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be a fun episode with Trail Kreitzer of Go Hunt Insider, and we're going to pile through all of Utah. We're going to talk about the big game uh, drawing, the applications that are due here March 1st, 2018. Make sure to get them in prior to that deadline. Uh, we're going to go through all of the units. Uh, Trail's going to uh, pour out his knowledge uh, on this podcast about those units. Before we get into that, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. Go Hunt Insider is the title sponsor. I uh, appreciate their sponsorship and want to remind you guys that if you want to sign up for an Insider membership, use the J. Scott promo code. Uh, when you do so, uh, go to gohunt.com forward slash insider, follow the prompts there. Uh, use the J. Scott promo code. You're going to get a $50 Go Hunt uh, Gear Shop gift card, uh, and uh, you can use that towards future purchases uh, in the in the uh, gear shop. I want to thank them for their sponsorship. I want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting uh, for making the best mountain hunting gear uh, available on the market. Uh, you can go to Kuyu.com. You can also follow them on Instagram uh, and on Facebook. I want to thank Phonescope.com, Cheston Davis. Uh, their company makes the uh, best uh, adapters that adapt a uh, spotting scope or any optic to your uh, cell phone, uh, to uh, whether whatever cell phone you have, uh, they have the ability to adapt to any optic out there. And if you use the J. Scott 16 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount at Phonescope.com. And the Outdoorsman's, the Optics Authority, Cody Nelson and his crew in Arizona, uh, they, they are the Optics Authority. Uh, if you use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount there uh, at the Outdoorsman's. Also on Outdoorsman's.com, or you can call 1-800-291-8065. Uh, use the J. Scott promo code. Guys, I want to thank you for all of your support of this podcast. Uh, if you want to send me an email, you can do so at jscottoutdoors uh, at gmail.com. You can also follow along my Instagram page. Uh, you can send me a direct message there at jscottoutdoors. Uh, you can follow along uh, on my website as well, jscottoutdoors.com. And it was great seeing all you guys uh, at the Western Hunting Expo in Utah, as well as this last weekend. Uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, at the NWTF banquet, um, had lots of podcast listeners, uh, both at the expo and at the convention, uh, come up. And uh, this podcast uh, truly wouldn't be possible without the loyal support that you guys uh, show it every single day. And and I just appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, let's get right into this episode with Trail Kreitzer. Uh, we're going to be breaking down uh, Utah with several several other uh, outfitters and several other contacts in the industry over the next few days. Don't forget, we're about uh, 11 days out or so, 10 days out from the deadline, March 1st uh, in Utah. And uh, then we're going to be moving on to the other western states here. So uh, we're going to try and get you as much good information on all these western states so you can um, put in and make a good informed decision. Uh, so thanks for the support. Let's get right to this episode. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Trail Kreitzer from GoHunt.com. Trail, how you doing? 
Uh, doing good. Yeah, finally getting some snow here in southern Utah, so today's been a, a good day. Yeah, a bunch of my Utah buddies have been sending me texts and what have you and pictures of the snow, so I've, I've heard that you guys are much like Arizona, um, which, which is not uncommon that you guys kind of have about the same weather patterns that we do, um, but speak a little bit about your uh, Utah situation up until now as far as uh, moisture year on year. How does it look compared to other years? It's been bad. Uh, I would say it's probably been one of the driest winters that I can remember. Uh, when I was putting together some of the app strategy articles uh, for the Go Hunt Insider, I was looking at some of the snowpack totals, and it looks like we maybe you know have have the worst snowpack that we've had since 1977, uh, which they called the the winter of no snow. So that's how bad it's been. But uh, today certainly helps. I mean, here in Cedar City where I'm at, it looks like we probably got maybe four or five inches in the valley, and, you know, hopefully we got quite a bit up in the mountains. But uh, even still, I was I was just looking at the snowpack totals, and, and even as is, I mean, we're still less than 50% uh, through a lot of the state, uh, especially through the southern end of the state. Um, you know, up there in the northern half of the state, those guys are like maybe 70%, 76%, but still we're we're in rough shape as far as uh, snowpack goes and moisture this year. Trill, I've talked about on my podcast when I was going over a bunch of the Arizona stuff and talking about the drought and, you know, how it affects, one, bugling for elk and, two, antler development. And then, you know, with the deer, you know, antler development and what have you. Um, my question would be, you know, does this, does the drought being, say, below 50% of normal in, in most of southern Utah and, you know, 70% of normal in, in the northern parts, does that change your strategy? Or if you were advising someone on looking at applying for, uh, say, either an elk or a deer tag, is that something that would make you, you know, shy away from trying to draw? Um, talk a little bit about your thoughts on that subject. Um, it, it definitely does have the impact to uh, impact um, antler development. So if we don't get some spring rains and, you know, we don't get the, the vegetation that we, we should, you definitely could see, you know, some of those bulls with big bottom ends and, and kind of peter out towards the top end and they just don't finish out. Uh, so it, it is a concern. Uh, I would say right now I probably would still uh, encourage people to apply as they normally would uh, and hope that we get some of those late spring rains and some of those early summer rains and, and we still have good feed and good antler development. Um, the great thing about Utah is that you can, you know, turn your tag back in. So if you were to draw a permit and, you know, you spent your summer scouting and it just wasn't turning up the type of bull or buck that you were hoping for, you could always turn that permit back in and uh, get your points back. Now, you're going you're gonna to eat the cost of that permit, but at least, you know, if you're, if you're sitting on a stack of points, you know, 15 points plus, uh, and you draw a permit, and, you know, being able to turn it back in is, is definitely worth getting your points back, even if you eat the cost of the permit. I, so I would say right now, I mean, my encouragement would be to, you know, have some faith and apply as you normally would, uh, but, but definitely keep an eye on it. Okay, for sure. Um, for those of the listeners uh, out there that maybe aren't as familiar with the Utah draw system, uh, can you take a second here to just kind of give a brief uh, overview of how uh, Utah does their draw 
Uh, one thing I'm noticing is that, you know, um, I apply in Utah every year, and the non-resident hunting license is $85. And the one thing that's super cool is once you buy that license, then you can go ahead and apply, uh, you know, for the bighorn sheep and moose and Rocky Mountain bighorn, you know, the, the goat, the bison, elk. It, you know, in other words, once you have that license, it's, it's you know, I think it's only 10 bucks per species to draw. Uh, but go go over a uh, kind of general overview of how Utah works. Yeah. So a, a resident or a non-resident, you have to buy a hunting license to, in order to apply. Um, and it's actually only 65 bucks for a non-resident if you just want the hunting license. If you want to buy a combo license that has the fishing license with it, then it's going to be 85 But you know, if you don't have uh, a chance to come out in Utah and, and use your fishing license, then you can just buy the $65 hunting license and, and go ahead and apply. Um, another little trick that uh, it's been noted before, and, and a few guys have kind of picked up onto it, but it's a 365-day hunting license. So you could actually purchase that license towards the end of the application period and uh, apply for your hunts. And the following year, you could actually uh, apply again early on in the draw period, and you could actually use that license for, to apply for two years. Um, another kind of a quirky thing about Utah is you actually don't have to have a valid hunting license uh, to hunt. Uh, if you draw a permit, that now becomes your, your license or your hunting permit, and that's all you, you need to actually hunt. So that's kind of why that loophole works. So you know, if you're a non-resident and you're looking to apply in Utah and, and save a little bit of extra cash, that's one way to do it. Um, yeah, you have to. Well, just have to uh, I just mm -hmm. want to ask one question there, just to specify that the uh, the deadline period I believe is March first. Uh, so let's say you bought your hunting license on the twenty fifth of February, and you went ahead and applied for this year. The mm -hmm. following year, so the next season, as long as you applied before February twenty fifth. So let's say you applied February twenty third. At the time of applying, that license would still be valid. So in other words, for that $65, you in essence just applied for two years under that $65 rather than buying a new license every year. Correct. Yep. That's, okay. that's, how, okay. that, that's how that works. And, and okay. even if you, like I said, even if you draw a permit, you don't have to buy another one. I mean, it's, it's good to go. Your, print, your permit now becomes your hunting license in, in essence. So kind of a, and, a and you. Go ahead. You apply online as well, right? So if you need a license, it will prompt you saying that your license is expired, correct? It does, yeah. It's, it's pretty handy. When you apply, if you don't have a license, it will prompt you uh, to buy one when you apply. And you can apply uh, online or you can actually call any division office and apply there on the telephone if you prefer to do that. Uh, I would say it's, it's a whole lot easier to just jump online and, and do it. It's a pretty simple and easy process to get applied. Um, yeah, Utah gives you know 10% of their uh, permits to non-residents. The other 90% are going to residents. Uh, Utah kind of has a, an interesting system for limited entry species. Uh, what they do is they have a bonus point system. So the number of bonus points that you have is essentially the number of times that your name goes in the hat for the draw. So statistically, you know, the more bonus points that you've got, your better chances of drawing. Uh, it's also kind of a modified system. So what they do is they actually take half of the permits for any given hunt, and they give those to the guys with the most bonus points, and then the other half are uh, randomly drawn. Um, you know, we often get asked what happens if there's only one permit. 
uh, that if there's only one permit, it will be randomly drawn. And so that's why you know, a non-resident applying for the first time, even for the, some of those once-in-a-lifetime species like you know, moose, sheep, or goat, uh, you, know, you have some chance. It, it's not a great chance, but you definitely have some chance. Um, and is that also trail in the situation like where you have, uh, say, an elk permit, say on the beaver, there's one non-resident permit, um, and I could be wrong, I haven't looked at the new, new um, apps uh, here yet, I'm just diving into them, but if there's only one permit, it's totally random, meaning I could have max points or I could have no points, and I can still go into that pool and it's a completely random draw, right? Correct. Yeah, totally random. And I mean, you could draw with zero points. My my wife actually drew a tag this year with zero points. She she finished hunters ed five days before the deadline last year and drew, you know, one of the best elk units in the state. So it's it's always a possibility. Uh, kind of a kind of a neat thing in Utah. You just never know when lightning might strike, and you might be the lucky guy that gets a permit of a lifetime. So pr pretty cool opportunity. For sure. And definitely, would you say someone that maybe has not been applying and, and is listening to this podcast for the first time, Utah is definitely one of those states, like we just said, that, I mean, um, you have a chance. And so don't feel like if you don't have points, you're not going to get drawn because just like Trail said, his wife drew first year putting in one of the best and shot a phenomenal bull, by the way, I might add. Um, so it, it, it's a pretty, you know, for, for – Someone with no points, it's a pretty awesome state to apply in. Yeah, I mean, I always encourage people to apply in Utah. Uh, as far as buying a hunting license to apply, it's, it's relatively inexpensive at 65 bucks. Uh, the other thing I always encourage non-residents, uh, they often look past the general season deer opportunities in Utah, and you know those work on a preference point system, which is you know different than a bonus point system. A preference point system uh, is going to give all the permits to the the individuals with the most points, but you can still draw a lot of those general season deer units, you know, with one or two points, and you know, give yourself an opportunity to come out and have a, a pretty fun hunt for general season deer every few years. So I always encourage people to apply in Utah. Um, you know, you, you noted earlier that a non-resident, they can actually apply for any and all species that they're interested in. So, you know, limited entry deer, limited entry elk, antelope, you know, moose, sheep, goat, bison, even and, and even general season deer. Uh, a, a resident has to actually pick their species, so they have to either pick uh, limited entry elk, deer, or antelope, and then they can actually pick uh, a once-in-a-lifetime species like moose, sheep, uh, goat, or bison, and then they can also apply for general season deer. But, I mean, if you're a non-resident, I think Utah's a, it's a great state to apply in. I mean, the chances of drawing one of those premier units and premier hunts is, is pretty slim, but like Jay just said, you know, you, you never know when it might be you. And, and for 65 bucks, you know, plus 10 bucks per, per species that you apply for, for me, it's worth it. Also, Trail, uh, that's a great point. Also, uh, there's also waiting periods. Like, I believe I drew in 2016 on the beaver for archery. I didn't harvest, but I am in a waiting period. Correct me if I'm wrong, and I, I think it's five years that I can't even apply in Utah for elk because I drew whether I was successful or not. Um, that's also an interesting dynamic, and I think it, 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 it at least makes you think that other people have a better chance to draw if those that have drawn have to wait five years. Yeah, correct. 
yep, you you got five years. You can't even apply uh, if you if you've drawn a bull elk tag. It's a little bit less for uh, antelope and buck deer, so you're only a two year waiting period for those two limited entry species. Um, I have kind of a funny story. I was actually <laughs> uh, when my wife killed that bull this year. Uh, we were sitting there, and I was working on it, and she's kind of sitting there taking it all in and. She kind of sat back there and she said, "Man, this." She's like, "I just, I never thought hunting could be this enjoyable, this amazing. You know what? A, what a cool experience." And she just said, "You know, I think we should do this again next year." <laughs> I said, <laughs> "You had to break sure. the news to her." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said, uh, I, "I hate to break your heart, but you can't even apply for five years." So I don't, I don't think she quite, quite knew what she had there. But yeah, kind of a, a fun experience. Let's talk about uh, the new change. Uh, I hear there's a change for with the mentoring program. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that, how it worked? Yeah, so you know, prior to this year, uh, if you drew a permit, you could actually mentor somebody you know, in your immediate family. So like, for example, if, if I drew a permit, I could mentor my son, uh, my 12-year-old, and I, and I could have taken him out with me. And I had to be with him at all times. And, and you know he could have hunted on my permit. Uh, this year, they've actually made some changes to that program that have made it a little more uh, more accessible. Um, you know, I, I can mentor my child uh, now, but he it doesn't have to be uh, my permit. For example, his grandpa could draw a permit, and uh, he could hunt on his grandpa's permit, and then and I could go with him. And and basically anybody that's over the age of 21 that. Uh, you know, registers and, and has been through the Hunter's Ed program and the, the whole lot uh, can actually mentor you. So that's kind of a, a cool change in, the, in that program. There's another change. Um, you can actually mentor up to four uh, youth. So I could put four different youth uh, on my permit. Uh, they can't all hunt at the same time, um, but I could take, you know, one out individually uh, and, and they could hunt and you know harvest an animal on my permit so that's another change for that program and you know for, for me i'm actually looking you know looking forward to it. i'm really excited about it i've been uh buying my father-in-law permits for or not permits but points for a number of years and you know we've talked about uh the ability to to be able to maybe give my, one of my kids one of his grandkids uh a permit and go hunting and so i'm i'm really looking forward to, to that opportunity Trail, just to clarify, um, let's say, could, does it have to be your child, or could you have someone in your church or one of your kids' schools? I mean, could you name them as someone you could mentor also? Correct. Yeah, it could be it could be anybody. Yep. Okay. So, so, and is there, they have to be under 21, or what's the, what, what classifies them as someone that can be mentored? Yeah, they have to be uh, under 17, and they also have to have uh, been through Hunter's Ed. So they have to be, okay. you know, the, the proper the proper channels to, to hunt normally. Uh, but yeah, as long as they they fit that bill, uh, then then you could mentor them. And does that that does that apply to limited entry as well as general season permits? Yeah, my understanding is that it does. Uh, it doesn't specify uh, in the regulations what what type of permit. It doesn't say if it's a general season deer or a limited entry permit or even a once in a lifetime permit. So I, my understanding is that yeah, in any permit you could actually mentor you. Now it's a uh, another great way to get kids out in the field. And and if you had four kids, you could name all four of them and maybe flip flop days and 
you know, it would just be a matter of which kid got fortunate when the animal was there and was able to harvest or, you know, I'm sure that has its own pecking order, but pretty neat to be able to get the youth involved like that. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. I've got a, a 12-year-old that just took Hunter's Ed last year, so I'm it's it's a program that I'm I'm really looking forward to you know being able to utilize and, and being able to get my kids out in the field more. And just one thing, let's say your father-in-law draws a permit, you as the the mentor, he doesn't actually have to mentor the child you could mentor the child on your father-in-law's permit, is that correct? Or does the father-in-law have to be there? He does not have to be there uh, at this point. I can actually mentor my, my child on his permit. And, uh, you know, as long as he's with me, you know, he's, he's good to go. So that's, that's kind of the avenue that I've been working is, uh, you know, buying and applying for my father-in-law. And, you know, this is just a, a change that kind of came down the pipe. I didn't foresee this, but it's just uh, a change that's definitely going to help. And, and he's excited about being able to give this opportunity to my kid. And, and I'm excited to be able to take my kid out on a hunt. So, you know, I don't know when that opportunity will, will be, maybe this year, maybe next year. But I'm hoping to get my kid out on a, on a limited entry elk hunt. And, you know, the cool thing about it is that, you know, it's not going to impact his points or his chance of drawing a permit in the future. He's not going to have to go on a waiting period or anything like that. He'll just be able to, to go out and hunt and experience that. So I think, I mean, what a what a cool opportunity to, to take a kid out hunting. Absolutely, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, Utah has done... Well, let's back up. Uh, your background, you used to work actually for the Utah Division of Wildlife um, doing a lot of habitat stuff. Can you give a little bit of your background um, with that uh, position that you had and, and talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so for eight years I was a habitat restoration biologist here in Cedar City, so I covered uh, the southern region. And primarily my job was to help design and build and then go ahead and, and get the funding and actually implement these habitat restoration projects. Uh, probably 99% of the work that I did when I worked there for the division and I was there for, for about eight years uh, was pinion and juniper removal and then sage step restoration and, and quite a bit of fire rehab as well. So I got involved in, in doing a lot of large-scale seedings and those kinds of things. but. That's what my background is. Um, you know, I got really heavily involved with the Utah has a cool program called the Utah Watershed Restoration Initiative, which is a, a really cool program that's been unique to Utah. Uh, all the federal agencies, the BLM, the Forest Service, uh, NRCS, and even some private entities, and then also the state, uh, a lot of the conservation permit dollars that are raised feed into this initiative. And it, what, what was cool about it is that it gave us the opportunity to design and implement large-scale projects. So instead of being able to do, you know, maybe 200 acres of, you know, chaining on a state project, we were able to work across boundary lines, and that 200 acres went to 800 or 1,500 acres. So we were able to, to treat a lot of country. Um, I think when I worked there for the division, I want to say, um, I think we almost did close to 100,000 acres uh, in the time that I was there. So it was a, a really cool opportunity to be able to, to work with habitat and, and do good things for wildlife and actually see, it's been really neat to actually see 
uh, a lot of uh, the benefits um, of those habitat projects coming to fruition in the last couple of years. It's been a, a neat opportunity. Where would most of the money for those projects come from? Um, I would say a lot of it is federally funded, so federal dollars. Um, some of it's Pittman-Robinson, obviously, from you know the sale of, of hunting equipment and, or shooting equipment. Uh, a good chunk of it actually comes through the conservation permit uh, program that the state of Utah has. So we just, you know, finished up a, a week or two ago the hunt expo up there where they auction off a bunch of the permits. Uh, a lot of that money goes back into the ground uh, for those habitat restoration projects. Um, so it's just basically, you know, pooled money, money from the state, money from uh, conservation groups, money from federal landowners that want to see some things done on their property that uh, is adjacent to, to federal land. So it's, it's basically a, a pooled resource. Utah, I mean, in my mind, Utah is kind of setting the bar for habitat restoration. And it's, you know, no coincidence in my mind that, uh, the you know, the animals, um, the trophy quality and you know, just the condition of Utah's herds have been thriving because of a lot of the, you know, quality work that's been done by a lot of different groups, um, you know, as well as the Hunt Expo and, you know, getting that money raised and a bunch of the different organizations. Would you agree that Utah is kind of at the forefront of, you know, an overall scale of restoration and, and, and you know, doing good projects for the wildlife? Absolutely. Um, you know, they got into it in the early 2000s with, with this initiative, and they've, they've done over a million acres. They put a lot of money into the ground. Uh, we're one of the states here in the West that our mule deer population is actually growing. Uh, the trophy potential, you can definitely see that being impacted. Uh, if you look at the Ponsagant unit, uh, which I was involved in doing lots and lots of projects over there, if you look at the trophy potential and the number of big bucks that are coming off that unit in recent years, uh, to me there's a direct tie between those habitat restoration projects and, and the trophy potential of those bucks on that unit. Um, yeah, it, it was a really cool you know, program to be a part of and, and like I said, it's been really, really neat to kind of see those projects mature and grow and, and see our herds start to grow with them and see the, the quality uh, increase with those projects. So it's been, it's been really neat. I, I got to look at a, a project last year uh, that I did over there on the Pavant and I got to look at some of the flight data when they flew that unit for elk and there was 26 six points in one little project that I'd done. It's about the size of, you know, it's about 500 acres. That was pretty dang cool to, to see uh, that much utilization in that area. So, for sure, good. for sure. So, um, when you left uh, the Department of Wildlife, uh, you've been working with uh, Go Hunt. Uh, what actually is your role, and what on a day to day basis? What do you do at Go Hunt? Yes, I, I used to freelance write for them when I was working for the division. Uh, I always liked to write, and I was always really big into hunting, and I was, um, I don't know, really interested into the research side of things. So I was kind of the geek that was going through all the state data and the draws and, and looking up all the cow ratios and those kinds of things and trying to tease out some spots to find a little hidden gem. But uh, I came on with Go Hunt and... 
I think my official title here is I am the research manager and then also the, I guess you'd say the resident gear guy. So <laughs> a the lot gear of gear geek. Yeah, the gear <laughs> geek. Yeah. A, a well, lot I don't know who who has the title. Who holds the title the best? You or uh, Brady over there? Because you're both gear geeks. I'm I'm probably more geeky than Brady. Brady. <laughs> that is saying a lot. I I don't know if people don't know what that means, but that is saying a lot right there. Brady might be the cooler of the two of us. I'm just kind of geeky, <laughs> I guess. But uh, yeah, a lot of the. Uh, uh, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say a lot of the equipment that we carry in the store is is kind of some stuff that you know that I I like and and use, and so that's kind of part of my role is I get to pick a lot of the gear that we carry in the store. Uh, you know, work with the rest of the guys on the team as well, but. Um, a lot of that is comes from me and then a lot of the questions. So if you're an insider or anybody that wants to purchase some gear uh, from the store and you want to talk to somebody on the phone, I'm the guy that you're going to get on the phone and get to talk to you. So if you're looking for a new backpack, you know, I'm the guy that, that can basically talk you through uh, our options and what might work best for you. And then uh, on the research side of things, uh, for the last, I would say, month and a half, two months, I've been just completely buried in, in working on uh, application strategy articles. So uh, I work with Brady hand-in-hand -hand on those. I do a lot of the research and a lot of the writing, and Brady gets to do a lot of the creative graphs and a lot of putting a lot of the data uh, into those to, to making them look cool and, and, and probably look a whole lot better than what I hand them to him. I know that. He dolls it up. Yeah, he definitely makes it look better. When I send it to him, I, I always have a little twinge, like, oh, man, I, I'm glad that, that, that my part's done, and he has to deal with that. Yeah, I hear you, and he does such a great job. Uh, for those listening, uh, a lot of people know that Go Hunt uh, and Go Hunt Insider is the title sponsor of my podcast, and um, I, I might as well say right now, you know, the, the insider, you know, is kind of revolutionizing how people are, you know, studying and, and trying to keep up on these draws and harvest statistics and, you know, kind of geek out on all of the, um, all the different western states and, you know, trying to figure out how to, you know, get the best hunts and find those places maybe that are under the radar and what have you. And, um, you know, you guys do such a good job at, you know, not only having incredible draw odds that are super accurate, but then, you know, I've got the application strategy pulled up right now on my computer. I'm an insider member, and um, obviously you had a huge hand in this, um, you know, strategy article. Um, and, you know, you guys do a phenomenal job breaking it all down. Um, as I look here, and there's lots of cool, you know, charts and graphs and, and what have you, want to encourage anybody out there listening, uh, if you're not a Go Hunt Insider member, uh, you can uh, go to gohunt.com forward slash insider and follow the prompts to sign up. When you do so, use the J. Scott promo code and you're going to get a $50 gift card to the Go Hunt gear shop. Trail, talk a little bit about the addition, the recent addition of the Go Hunt gear shop and kind of how that works as getting that $50 credit uh, for these these guys that use the J. Scott promo code, when they get that credit, um, I had someone on Instagram the other day say that he got two, uh, I believe, like Yeti uh, uh, mugs of some sort uh, with with a Go Hunt uh, logo on them, um, and that's what he chose to you know use his fifty bucks for. Um, but 
talk a little bit about the gear shop. Um, you've got a hand in in all of the products there, and and uh, give give a little overview there. Yeah, so we opened up a, a gear shop in June. Um, basically, wanted to do that to just give our insiders a, another option and incentive to to buy something and, and basically a one stop shop. So if you're you know you're an insider, you also have access. And again, you don't have to be an insider to purchase things from the store, but uh, if you are an insider, we have this built-in point system uh, into the store, which you know you kind of noted. Uh, if you sign up to be an insider, uh, you're going to get 50, 50 points. Uh, one point is equal to one dollar, and it's just straightforward. You can use that to buy anything in the gear shop that you want to. Uh, our gear shop is a little bit different. We didn't want to take a, a big box store approach to a gear shop. We didn't want to carry 30 different brands. We basically wanted to, to really tailor it and carry brands that we really use and believe in. Um, so we might carry four or five brands of, of each individual item. And they are things that we really like, things that we filter test, things that we use and uh, things that, that we really believe in. And so our, our, gear, our gear shop is really kind of you know, tailored to, to what we believe in and what we really like in a, in a gear shop. So um, that's how the gear shop works. It's a, a pretty cool incentive to be an insider because you're going to get points back on, on any purchase that you make. Um, you know, say, example, you want to buy a, a new backpack, and that, buy, that backpack's 525 bucks. It's going to be that price no matter where you buy that backpack from anywhere. Uh, we're actually going to give you 55 bucks back in points that you can use to turn around and, and buy anything else in the store that you might be interested in, like a water bladder or, you know, hip belt pockets or, or any kind of accessory that you might want for that pack. So it's just a, a really cool system that works well for our insiders, gives them some incentive to shop with us, and it also gives us the ability to kind of reward our insiders for being part of, of what we got going on. So in other words, as you spend money, you're getting money back. So when you, when you really add it all up at the end of the year, as you're buying stuff through the Go Hunt gear shop, you're actually getting credit back in essence, points back, and that allows you to then use that towards a purchase of, the, of something else. And if you look at it year over year, you end up saving a bunch of money because everything you buy, you get money back, correct? Or points credit back. Yep. Yeah, everything that you buy, you're going to get points back. And like I said, one point is equal to one buck. So, you know, if you buy a new tent with us, um, I'm looking at one right now, the Big Agnes Fly Creek uh, UL2, 349 bucks. That's going to be the cost of that tent no matter where you buy it because that's how, you know, map pricing works. Uh, but we're actually going to give you $35 back that you can turn around and, and buy anything else that you might need. So, yeah, just just a cool system to, to help our insiders and to kind of reward our insiders for being members. Pretty cool, pretty cool. Let's dive right into, let's, let's um, dive right into, let's start with Utah deer um, okay. and <clears throat> probably uh, have you explain the limited entry opportunities and then talk a little bit about the general uh, seasons. And then I kind of want to just go um, bullet, you know, just kind of uh, rush, not rush through, but just name a unit and have you tell me what you think about it. Uh, and we'll just kind of go through some of the units uh, and uh, we'll kind of just go from one to the other to the, to the next. Okay. So you have a uh, limited entry deer and then you've got general season deer. Um, another question I pretty frequently get asked is what's the difference between a premium limited entry deer? Well, 
There's a couple of units that are premium limited entry, and that's going to be uh, the Henry Mountains and the Pontagon. And you know, those two units, the state of Utah manages for uh, a better buck, a better buck to doe ratio, and they actually do age class uh, estimates for that herd and for their harvest. So they, they manage those two for an older age class of buck. Um, you know, those are the two best units in the state for us. Those are the two that you're always going to see a handful of really big bucks every year. Uh, then you got limited entry units, you know, places like the Oak Creek, um, you know, the Vernon, uh, you know, the Book Cliffs, and, and there's a couple others, San Juan Elk Ridge, and, and there's a few others, but those are your limited entry uh, deer uh, units. And then you've got general season deer. Uh, there's 30 general season deer units. Those general season units are managed for a desired buck to doe ratio. Um, they're not managed for big bucks. They're not managed for an age class by any means. They're basically designed to, to give opportunity to, to general, you know, people to hunt. They're general season units. Um, you know, they're not available over the counter. You still have to draw those. But like I said earlier, those are ones that work on a on a preference point system, where the limited entry to premium limited entry work on a, a bonus point system. Okay, um, let's let's start with uh, Henry's Mountains. Obviously, you said it was a, one of the premium units. Uh, in your mind, is it hands down better than the Ponsagant? And talk a little bit about the tr the trend that you see going on in the Henry's. Is it you know maintaining? Is it getting better and better, or is it declining? I would I would make the argument that the Pontagant has probably caught it and and maybe even exceeded it as far as you know a trophy unit. Uh, they they're still going to kill some big bucks on the Henrys every year uh, just by the nature of that unit and the way they manage it. Uh, I would suggest on the the last couple of years the number of bucks that I've seen come off of the Pontagant. I would say right now it's 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 probably beaten the Henry's as far as overall trophy potential. And I, that might be blasphemous. There's probably some, somebody throwing, you know, throwing something at the radio if they're listening to it right now. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I would make that argument. I mean, they absolutely just slayed some giant deer off the Pontagon this year, and I think they will again this next year. So uh, I would make the argument that uh, if it hasn't passed it, it's, you know, knocking on the door. Um, the Henry's for a long time has kind of been our gym. It's been our go-to for big bucks, and it still is a great unit for big bucks. I just think that right now that Pontagon is, is awfully good. Okay, let's talk about the Pontagon. And in your mind, you have some experience there. You don't live very far from there. What has made the Pontagon what it is? I mean, it seems like it was the you know, the premier unit in Utah, and then, you know, it, it, it had years where it was, you know, struggling, and then it's, it's you know, back to prominence now. Um, what has caused it to be like that? Uh, I think it's, it's what we talked about earlier. I think it's habitat, and I think we're saving more deer. There's, there's two things that I could point to specifically that are, are helping that herd. Uh, the first one is the habitat restoration work that's going on over there. Uh, it's really interesting to me, uh, you know, people used to bow hunt that Ponsagant unit up on top. You know, they'd hunt there, 
you know, all around the top of like Tropic Reservoir and all that country, you know, from Nephi pasture, everything up on the top uh, elevations of that unit. And a lot of those big bucks now that they're killing on the bow hunt are actually they're killing down on those middle elevations where a lot of those habitat restoration projects have been occurring. And, you know, those guys are finding and hunting those bucks down there because that's where the groceries are and that's where the deer are. So, you know, for me, it seems like a pretty tight correlation between improved habitat and, you know, antler development. I, I think some of those trophy bucks are definitely benefiting from the, the good feed that's, that's a product of those habitat restoration projects. The other thing I think is helping that herd is they actually fenced, and they high-fenced about 18 miles of, of uh, the highway there that runs out of Kanab east towards Lake Powell, which is a, a major migration route for those deer. Those deer come off the Ponsagot, uh, they migrate to the south, and they actually end up out there on, on Buckskin Mountain and, and move towards Arizona. Um, they fenced a bunch of that. They put in a bunch of underpasses. Uh, the first couple of years was a bit of a disaster. Those deer didn't quite know how to process that. They didn't you know, know where to go, and they would kind of stack up against the fence. Uh, in the last few years, they figured that out, and they're passing freely. Um, but they figure that's maybe saving close to 500 deer a year just on that stretch of highway. Um, so anytime you're saving that many deer, and you're also, you know, putting, like I said, putting good feed and, and good habitat back on a unit, I definitely think it's, it's helping that unit. For sure. Um, do you know anything about the uh, up there at the expo, um, Zinke, uh, Interior Secretary uh, Zinke was up there and had just signed um, a bill of some sort that is working with um, migration uh, corridors and, and what have you. Do you know much about that and what kind of impact um, that is going to have in the western U.S. for our herds? I don't know exactly, you know, the ins and outs of the order that he signed, and I haven't had enough time to really dive into it to, to learn the details of it. Uh, I know that in the last few years, they've been doing a lot of research, you know, collar studies. I don't know if you, there was a guy out of Wyoming that did a film that talked about the, the mule deer migration, and then they did a bunch of stuff on antelope where they collared uh, antelope and, and watched and monitored these migrations. And there's definitely more um, focus right now on those types of things. I mean, they were finding up there that these mule deer were, you know, migrating hundreds of miles, you know, out into their winter range. And I think we're, we're kind of starting to see uh, the impact that we've had by putting in roads and, you know, energy development and, and those kinds of things to some of our herds. And I definitely think there's been more focus on that. We've definitely learned a whole lot more in the last few years. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping, you know, I hope it entails more research and then, you know, maybe at least the kind of defining those corridors and doing things to, to help those herds move freely um, with, between, you know, summer range and winter range. For sure. So we've got the Henry's and the Pontagon, um, you know, the two best units uh, for limited entry deer, and then we've got a handful of other units uh, in order of quality, is there any others that, that come close or is it like the next tier down and what would a couple of those better units be in your mind? Yeah, I would say it's a, a next tier down. There's a few units that you got the potential to, to kill a big buck on. Uh, I would say maybe that Fillmore Oak Creek unit, it will pretty regularly produce a 200-inch-plus buck. 
Um, I know a couple of years ago there was a, a couple brothers that killed two bucks that were over 220. Uh, that unit can definitely kick out a big buck, but probably not in the number that a unit like the Ponce Bound or the Henrys can. Uh, the other one I would say is pretty interesting uh, is that San Juan Elk Ridge. It's a little bit similar, I would say, to the uh, Oak Creek. You know, there's a, a few big bucks, just not a, a ton of them. Um, and then there's a, a few units like the Vernon or the Book Clips, um, you know, maybe even that LaSalle Dolores Triangle unit, uh, where the quality is not going to be quite there. I mean, you're basically hunting, uh, you know, maybe a 160 to 180 type of buck uh, if you're lucky, but you're going to have a, a fun hunt. You're going to have an opportunity to see a lot of deer, see a lot of nice bucks, but just not those true giants. Gotcha. And then we move into... Um, the general season, which explain how that works for residents and non-residents. And, you know, I didn't know until 2016 when my buddy Tony's like, yeah, you idiot, you, you've been applying for limited entry deer, but you have not been applying for general season deer. And I'm like, no, I didn't know you could do both. <laughs> Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you could apply for both uh, general season deer and limited entry deer. There's 30 general season deer units. Uh, there's different hunts that, that go on. Uh, you've got the uh, archery hunt, a muzzleloader hunt, and actually new for this year, they actually split some of those units, and they're going to have an early rifle hunt, which is going to be uh, mid-October, and then they're going to have a, a late rifle hunt, which is the you know more traditional rifle hunt in Utah, which is the last week there in October. Um, but basically, those units are, you know, opportunity type of hunts. Uh, they're they're managed for, you know, buck to doe ratios in that 15 to 21 range. So definitely not, uh, you know, not managed for trophy potential. But every year, some of the biggest bucks in the state come out of those general season units. And then there's also um, uh, it's a, the the name of it's escaping me, but for residents, you can actually have, well, it's actually for residents and non-residents. What's it called when you, you can hunt three years in one particular unit? Yeah, Utah has what they call the Dedicated Hunter Program. Uh, yeah, that that's... Can, yeah, you have to draw into it just like you would for a, a general season deer tag. It's kind of a cool program. Uh, you've got to do some service hours, so, you know, up to 32 uh, service hours. You pay a little bit higher price, but uh, in exchange for that, you're actually going to get a chance to hunt both or all three, the uh, muzzleloader, the archery, and uh, the rifle hunts, and you can harvest two deer in three years. And I think, man, if you're a resident or if you live close enough that you can you know, do your service hours or you could actually pay for your service hours uh, as a non-resident, I think it's a really cool program. Um, it's the best opportunity that anybody has to, to kill a big buck on a general season unit for sure. Don't you think that's somewhat kind of not mainstream and not, you know, not everybody knows about that. And, you know, like you said, if you did have, if you were one of these guys that had quite a bit of time, you know, to put into archery, the muzzleloader, the rifle, like, I mean, you could really get to know a unit really well. You could probably find a buck and, you know, watch them over a period of time. Um, uh, you know, a real opportunity to, to probably get a lot of hunting in and, and really, you know, specifically, you know, work over a unit pretty good. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's my favorite program. I mean, I think it's, 
it's really, really a, a good opportunity to find and hunt a buck. Um, you know, all my biggest bucks have come off of general season units, and it's because I've had the ability to scout all summer and, you know, hunt through a bow hunt. And typically I, I can't get it done on the bow hunt, it seems, on a big buck. But that first day of the muzzleloader hunt, I can make a run at those bucks uh, where they're still in their summer range, and, and I can get it done with the muzzleloader. So, if, yeah, I mean, if it is a little bit under the radar, but if you have the means uh, to either pay for your service hours or do your service hours, and then you've got the time to come out and bow hunt, you know, and maybe muzzleloader and even rifle hunt if you got the time, I think it's an awesome opportunity to kill a big buck on a general season unit. These late muzzleloader hunts uh, in the general season units, uh, talk about the timing uh, you know, the date typically is October 31st through November 8th, I believe. And obviously that's, you know, right there on the cusp of, you know, getting some deer rutting and what have you. Um, talk about those muzzleloader hunts and the timing of that. Yeah, so they did that a few years ago, and I think they did that to try to kind of work through some of the people in the system with a lot of, you know, bonus points, try to work through some of those applicants. Uh, so they, they take place on general season units, uh, but they are a limited entry unit. So if you apply for one of those, you know, you will burn your limited entry bonus points um, if, if you take that hunt and go hunting. And, you know, you're spot on October 31st to November 8th this year. Um, for me, uh, I think it's a, a pretty good hunt if you don't have a, a you know, a ton of points that you're going to burn on it. I personally probably wouldn't burn a a stack of points on those hunts just based on the fact that, you know, they take place just days after the lim or the general season rifle hunt ends, and they, they end November 8th. Really, it's a little bit too early for uh, a good rut. Uh, we typically don't get into that good rut until maybe, you know, middle of November to the end of November and, and even early part of December. So it's not like a, a great rut hunt. They do kill some big bucks every year. Every once in a while, there'll be a buck that will slip out and get feeling a little bit ruddy, and, and somebody will, will pick him off with that late muzzleloader tag. But for the most part, I would say it's a good hunt. If you've got a, a few points, I probably, you know, I personally wouldn't burn a bunch of them on. I just don't think it's a quality enough hunt to, to burn a lot of points on. When you say a few, would, I mean, would you burn five or six points, or would you... Or would you say, you know, don't burn eight or nine points? What What's kind of the cutoff for you? Um, I'd have to jump in and kind of look where the breakdown is for, for some of those other units. Uh, I would say I, I probably wouldn't burn anything like in that 10-point range. Uh, less than that, I would say, yeah, it's probably worth it if you've got some time to really scout and, and put some effort into it. Uh, you get above that many points, I would probably be looking at, uh, you know, more of a, maybe an archery hunt like on the book cliffs or, or something like that, which would be a more a more fun hunt. You're definitely going to see a lot more deer. Um, I just wouldn't, I mean, I see guys, I look through the points, and, you know, I'm seeing guys burning 15, 16, 17 points on these these general season late muzzleloader hunts, and I just, I don't know. I, I wouldn't make that gamble unless I had some real time to put into it. Because in essence, I mean, they're following up, I mean, piles of people that are hunting the general rifle seasons, and it's just a couple days later, and it, there's really nothing that's changed. Like you said, it, it does get kind of close to the rut, and maybe if you had some weather or something, maybe some bucks getting ruddy, but it's, 
definitely not a rut hunt, um, but there's enough of an intrigue there that's like, man, it's getting close to those dates. I think it suckers a lot of people into it. Yeah. I think if that hunt were, you know, another week or two weeks later, man, I would, it'd be right in the wheelhouse and I would definitely, I'd say look at it hard and, and go for it. But with those dates ending on the 8th, it's really not quite, you know, late enough to, to have much of a rut. You being a, well, you're an archery junkie. You like to hunt with anything, but you're an archery junkie. Do you feel like the general season archery hunts um, are, are probably the best bet for the guy that has tons of time and can really, you know, take, you know, most of the hunt off and have a bunch of time scouting in the summer? I mean, do you think that's the best probably chance to kill the biggest buck? Um. I actually, on the contrary, I would say the muzzleloader is the best hunt to, to kill a big buck. Uh, Utah changed their laws a couple of years ago where you can use a magnified scope on a muzzleloader, which which helps a little bit. Uh, you can also shoot a modern muzzleloader with you know an inline muzzleloader. And you know I've hunted, I mean I've hunted a lot of a lot of deer, a lot of big deer that I wanted to kill with a bow that I just could not make it happen with a bow that I've turned around and shot on the first day of the muzzleloader hunt, and I've had that dedicated hunter deer tag. Uh, so I would actually say if your objective was to kill a, a nice buck, a big buck on a general season unit, uh, I would put a lot of time into scouting uh, during the summer, during the archery hunt, and I would probably try to plan to hunt that muzzleloader hunt because I think that's your best bet of harvesting a, a big buck on a general season unit. If you had to pick, say, the top four or five general season units, and you don't have to do them in order, but what what would you say the top four or five, you know, year over year, the best units are for general season deer? Uh, I would say the Pine Valley. Uh, got a lot of deer every year. They're going to kill, you know, some some 200 inch bucks, maybe a couple, and, and there's going to be a handful in that 170 to 190 range. Uh, I would say the beaver is another unit that's always going to turn out some big bucks on a general season unit. It's just got a, a good combination of uh, a good amount of summer range. They had a big fire there a few years ago. Uh, it's had tons and tons of habitat work on the winter range, so that, that unit's always going to turn out some big bucks. Uh, surprisingly, I would say the Penguich Lake, uh, which is just right here out my back door in Cedar City, uh, a good deer population. Uh, we had a you know an 80,000 acre fire there this year, so that's going to kind of impact things. I think this first year it might be a little bit slow. You know, maybe we lost some recruitment this year to that fire, but I think with the productivity that that fire is going to generate in the next two to three years, that unit's going to be really productive. Uh, I know of two bucks that came off that unit on the muzzleloader hunt this year that were north of 200 uh, and, and quite a few in that 180 range. Uh, let's see, so that's three. Um, four, uh, I would say maybe the southwest desert. Uh, not as many deer, um, but a lot of habitat work and enough deer that you can have a good hunt and, you know, the potential for just a giant out there because you just, there's so much country and so much pinion and juniper and sage that you just never know what's going to turn up. Sounds good. Let's jump over to, um, let's switch gears and jump over to sheep and talk about the um, sheep opportunities uh, in Utah for uh, both, you know, non-residents and residents. Yeah, so non-residents, they're going to have uh, three desert units 
that they could apply for. Uh, they're each going to have one permit apiece, uh, and then three, um, you know, Rocky Mountain Bighorn sheep units that they can apply for with one permit apiece. Uh, for the desert sheep, you're going to have that San Rafael South unit. Uh, you're going to have the Caparowitz East. Uh, for a non-resident, they can actually hunt any of those Caparowitz units, which is, is nice for a, for a non-resident that draws that permit. And then you're going to have the Zion unit. Um, you know, of those, I would say the Zion is definitely the best unit. It offers the best hunt. You know, you're going to see more sheep. The potential for a bigger sheep is better in the Zion. Uh, next to that, I would say that Caparowitz East is your next best bet, and then that Sandra fell South. Um, we, we talked earlier, again, there's going to be one permit for each one of those hunts, and it's going to be randomly allocated, so you, you just never know who's going to draw that permit. I mean, it literally could be somebody with zero points. It could be somebody with one. You, you just so for those know. people out there listening that are, I never draw anything, and you say, well, do you put in no, what you're telling them right now, that's your way of saying, listen, dude, you don't have any points, but you have just as good a chance to draw one of those three units as anybody, right? Uh, maybe not just as good because they do have a bonus point system. So to statistically, the guy with 20 points, his name is going to go on the hat that many times, but you've, you've definitely got a chance. Okay, okay. Good point. Yeah, yeah. so okay. maybe not as and good, but for, for 10 bucks, I mean, you might as well throw your name in the hat, right? Absolutely. Um, what about for residents? In Utah, as far as sheep, what what would stand out as you know the the units to be looking at? So for residents, uh, the units that are going to be good are similar to the units that are for non-residents that are good. Uh, you're you're talking the Zion. That's where the trophy potential is going to be the best. Uh, the two Caparowitz units, so Caparowitz West, Caparowitz East, both of those units are good. Good numbers of sheep. Uh, the Pine Valley is actually pretty good um, right down there in the south, southern end of the state. So that would probably be the top four for uh, residents. Uh, some of those units in the central portion of the state have struggled a little bit, still offer a decent hunt, but just probably not the hunts that those other four uh, offer. What about Rockies? Uh, for Rockies, uh, the Book Cliffs are good. So the Book Cliffs South. Uh, the nine miles, pretty dang good. And uh, if you're looking for uh, a fun hunt with a lot of sheep, those Newfoundland mountains are good. Uh, and that's going to be... Those the, are actually California, right? California they are California. Yep, they are California. Yeah, they... Okay. Utah, Utah doesn't make a distinction between the two. They still list them as, as the same when you apply. Um, you know, those units are listed under the Rocky Mountain, but they are California uh, bighorn for sure. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, those, those are going to be your best units uh, for both of those species. Uh, really, I mean, any one of them can offer a good hunt. We, we typically don't kill a lot of book rams here in Utah, either for Rockies or desert sheep. So our trophy potential, you're mostly going to be in that 150 to 170 class range. Uh, it's mostly just a, a fun hunt, and they definitely manage for 100% harvest success to give you long season dates, so plenty of time to hunt, and it's just basically a fun hunt for a nice sheep. Let's talk about uh, Rocky Mountain Goat in Utah. Yeah, so there's some great units for Rocky Mountain Goat, and I'm hoping to finally capitalize. I'm sitting on 15 points this year, so I'm hoping this is finally my year for goat. Uh, as far as the, the best units in the state, you're probably talking about the beaver, which is down here in southern Utah. That's historically been one of the best units for us. Uh, good number of goats. 
Uh, trophy potential is quite good. Uh, after that, uh, the unit there in northern Utah, uh, you've got the Uintas, so you've got several units there um, in the Uinta range. You've got Uintas West. You've got Camas, uh, Camas, uh, Uintas. You've also got uh, Uintas Central, which has got a good population. You've got Uintas East, which has a, a smaller population. And you have another unit called Lighty Peak. Uh, there tends to be more goats towards the western portion of those units in the Uintas. Trophy temp potential is about the same through all of those, uh, but a fun hunt, if you're looking for like a true mountain goat style hunt where you're going to have to backpack and, and get into some of that really clippy, nasty terrain, uh, you know, the UN is probably the place to do it. Uh, right there along the Wasatch Front, they've got some three different units. They actually took the former unit and split it into to three smaller subunits. And uh, all the way there in northern Utah, you've got Willard Peak, uh, which has you know great access, a good number of goats, and actually has really really good trophy potential. So um, you know plenty of opportunity for mountain goats. Um, it's it's a great state to hunt mountain goats, and I would I would definitely encourage you know residents and non-residents to, to apply for to look at goats and apply. About Shiras moose, are you um, are you Getting close on your Shiras moose, or have you already have you already got your Shiras moose in Utah? <laughs> I'm not. I uh, I jumped into applying for mountain goats. Uh, I took a look at the points. Well, it's been you know like 15, 16 years ago, and started looking and seeing the number of individuals uh, in in the in the pool that are applying for Shiras moose, and I just decided to, to go a different direction. In fact, I oh, that's right. As a Utah a resident, you you can apply for both. Like non-residents can, right? No, I can't. I have to pick mine. So I, I picked okay. mountain goat. Yeah, and, and glad okay. that I did. <laughs> I think yeah. I think over the half half of the Utah residents that have uh, bonus points for a once in a lifetime species have them in for moose. So you know the chances of drawing a moose tag as a resident in Utah are really really tough. Um, but our moose population is actually kind of starting to rebound. Uh, we had a bit of a crash, maybe. Oh, I don't know, five to six years ago, it seemed like populations were tanking. And it seems like, I mean, they're definitely not like they were back in, in the late 90s and early 2000s. We definitely don't have as many permits as we did then, but we're, we're doing better. And we're starting to see a few more moose permits and a few more opportunities. Um, yeah, I mean, when, when you're talking moose as far as, uh, you know, trophy potential, um, you're probably looking at like the Wasatch, which has a, a good number, that Wasatch Central Mountains unit that has a, a good number of moose and, and some nice bulls. Uh, the South Slope Yellowstone is pretty good and also has a, a good number of nice bulls. And then I would actually say, I was looking this year at the age class data that just came back and that cash unit is actually on the rise and, and might be a sleeper for a, a nice bull moose. Trail, um, that leads us to the bison. What's the story with the bison in Utah as far as um, quality, and what kind of hunts are these? I mean, are they are they pretty awesome hunts, or have you been on any of these bison hunts? I haven't been on a bison hunt. Um, I've seen a lot of them. Um, it's we, we have three units. We've got the the Henry Mountains, which is the, the unit we've had forever, and you know one of the most genetically pure bison herds uh, that still exists. Uh, the other unit that we have is the Book Cliffs, which has done extremely, extremely well. Those, those bulls were 
and, and those bison were transplanted onto that unit and have done really, really well. I was talking to the biologist uh, who's a friend of mine out of that northeast uh, part of the state, and he was saying that those book cliffs unit, that unit will actually be uh, hitting objective probably within the next two to three years. And they kill, you know, some great bulls out of both of those units. And then we also have a kind of unique opportunity for a hunt there on Antelope Island, um, where it's probably a, it's not a can hunt by any means. It's it's pretty dang close, but it's an island. You go out there, and if you draw that permit, you're pretty well guaranteed to kill a nice bull. Um, so those are the opportunities for bison. Uh, I would say, you know, if you're just kind of starting, if you're a resident and you're just starting and you're looking at applying for a once-in-a-lifetime species and you're looking for better odds, uh, I would encourage you to take a good hard look at bison. Um, you know, the opportunities there are pretty good. The populations are doing phenomenal. Uh, you've got the chance to either put in for an any bison permit, which would give you the chance to hunt a bull or a cow, or they have actually cow-only permits that are are relatively, I mean, they're not easy to draw, but they're a whole lot better than a lot of our once-in-a-lifetime species. So definitely some opportunities there. And, and then, like I said, if you're a non-resident and you have any interest at all in applying and uh, hunting bison, I would definitely encourage you to apply for a bison hunt in Utah. Good stuff. Um, let's, I think we've got elk, uh, which I'm sure a lot of people listening want to hear what you have to say about elk. Uh, before we do that, I want to take just a second and talk a little bit about where you grew up and where, you know, you kind of cut your teeth uh, hunting, what part of Utah. Talk a little bit about your background there. Yeah. Uh, I actually grew up right there on the heart of some of the best elk country that we have to offer, you know, maybe anywhere, to be honest. You'll probably, you might pick a bone with me there about, you know, for, for Arizona. You probably have... <laughs> You probably say that Arizona is the best for elk country, and you might be right. But I, for Utah, I, I grew up right there between the the Beaver, uh, Mount Dutton, the Boulder, um, and even the Monroe was right there. So I, I grew up in a little town called Anamone. My dad was a, a park manager there at Otter Creek State Park, which is a, a reservoir there, uh, good fishing. So I grew up basically right there in the heart of all that, that good elk country. Um, you know, spent a lot of time out just looking and did I got into high school and then even later into college, I did a lot of shed hunting. Uh, I remember using all my spring breaks when I was going to college to come home and hunt shed. So I, I got to know a lot of that country. And, you know, I, I love that country, and there's some great bulls uh, through those four units. What would you say growing up there and then watching the quality, you know, back in what would it be, the say, like, 0405, you can correct me on the exact dates, but where Utah just was killing, I mean, giant bulls in every unit. Um, and then where we're at now with the quality in Utah, for one, what caused that spike? And then obviously I would think they upped the amount of tags and it brought it back down. But talk, talk about being able to witness, you know, Utah on the rise and then seeing it where, I mean, they were killing the biggest bulls in, 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 the, in the country, hands down. Um, yeah. And then where we're at now and the, and the health of the herd overall. Yes, I would say I drew what they called a, an AR301 tag, which was an archery opportunity in 2002. And that gave me the opportunity I could hunt uh, the beaver, the dutton, um, it might have been another unit. I can't remember exactly. It might have been the fish. I can't remember exactly. But there was a couple of units that you could hunt, and you know you could draw that 
about every three to four years, and you could put in for it. And you know, I killed a, about a 330 bull the first year I applied for that and drew it in 2002. And it seemed like not the next year, but the year after. So 2004, they went to a much more limited uh, strategy. So they cut those units all into their own hunts and their own, you know, own units. So they all had, you know, their own archery hunt, their own muzzleloader hunt, own, their own early rifle hunt. And they got pretty restrictive with the tags. And I would say from about the years of, you know, 05 to, you know, maybe 2010, and they were just killing some absolute, just giant. Um, you know, I remember my dad drew a late Dutton tag in 2007, and I remember the first day of his hunt, we looked at 26 six-point six bulls in, in one drainage, and right there before dark, there was a nice 360-class bull, and, you know, I begged and pleaded with him to shoot it, and it was down in a, in a hole, and he was like, I don't know how we're going to get it out of there, you know, I'm going to pass on it, but we ended, we ended up hunting the rest of his hunt, and, man, we just saw some absolute giants. We ended up seeing one bull that, you know, I know was north of 400 and just couldn't get back on him again. Um, so, yeah, I think that restriction and permits, it really, it really, you know, cut back the number of tags and allowed a lot of bulls to mature and get some age to them, and, and we did. We killed a lot of big bulls there for a number of years. Uh, I would say since then, you know, maybe the last four to five years, uh, we've been a lot more lenient. We've given a lot more permits. We're kind of actually on the, the downswing of that. So we've killed, you know, a lot less true giants uh, than we did during that heyday. Um, you know, it's good that we're giving more people the opportunity to go hunting, but we're, we're definitely not killing the type of bulls that we were during, you know, prime, prime time back there in 07, 08. Um, I would Do you say, think that will ever change? Will they ever revert back and give less permits? Or do you think the trend is that, you know, we are where we're at? And, um, I mean, do you, do you think that there will ever be a change? Or do you think they would ever consider looking at, like, two units and just making them super limited and just, you know, growing some hogs and, you know, killing some giants? Or, or do you think they're going to, you know, kind of keep spreading the opportunity out? All right. Utah's an interesting state, so how they manage that is they manage it on an age class, so they divide the different limited entry units into an age class, and they try, what they try to do is when, a, when somebody harvests a bull, you know, they send in the teeth from that bull, and they do a, you know, an age on those teeth of that bull, and they try to manage, you know, a unit based on an average of all the bulls that come in for a desired age class, and, you know, those can kind of have some ebbs and flows, uh, you know, if you're an insider and you looked at this last app strategy article, I did uh, I did a breakdown of what the age class objectives were for each unit, uh, as well as what uh, if they're exceeding them or if they're you know below objectives. So kind of what the trends are. Um, you know, I, I I can't say that they will never. You know, it would never go back to to the way it was. You know, and really restricting those tags, and and we might see some of those real you know, phenomenal hunts again. Uh, the way Utah manages, you know, an idea can come out of left field from, from anywhere in that process, and and they can take that and run with it. And we could see some units that are really, you know, strictly managed and the number of bits reduced, and we could see some giant bulls again. I I, I don't foresee that. I would say right now we're, we're kind of just on status quo. Um, they look at that data every year that comes in, and they, they average it out for three years, and they kind of, 
you know, make their tag allotments. And I would say for the most part, the last five years or so, they've been pretty consistent um, as far as, as what uh, they're managing for and the number of permits and, and the types of bulls that we're seeing come, come back in after every hunt. If you had to take, let's say, three units in Utah, well, let's back up. If you, if you looked at all the units in Utah and you took the two biggest bulls in each unit, in your opinion, which unit would have those two biggest bulls? Uh, the boulder, plateau boulder, and probably the San Juan would be the two that seem to always produce uh, a handful of 400-inch bulls. Um, after that, you're probably talking... You know, maybe the Fillmore Pavant, uh, and and then probably the Beaver. What is it that makes the Boulder, um, you know, the San Juan for a long time, you know, was Utah's, you know, you know, obviously arguable. Everybody's got a different opinion, but a majority opinion that the San Juan was the best unit. The the Boulder. Is it just because the boulder is so thick and it, it just allows some of those bulls to get old? Is that, is that what the boulder has going for it? And in the fact that, you know, hunter success might not be as good because of how thick and, you know, rough that mountain is? Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it. Uh, you know, of course, they manage that unit for an older age class, so the objective for that unit is 7.5 to an 8-year-old bull. And then I think you're right. I think that the top end of that unit, the plateau portion of that, is pretty heavily timbered. It's pretty dang thick. And then even late, you know, if those bulls dive off to the east down into that sands country, it's pretty thick and remote. And I think those bulls are, are tough to consistently, you know, put glass on and, and hunt. So I think you're always going to kind of save some bulls. They're going to get some age to them. So I think it's a combination of, you know, being managed for an older age class and then as well as the type of unit it is, just that it is so thick and, and there's so much cover, those bulls can really find some refuge. As far as archery hunts uh, with the dates, Utah has an interesting um, date structure. It looks like the 2018 dates are August 18th through September 14th. Uh, in the, you know, it's, it's great in the fact that it gives almost a 30-day season. Um, it's tough in the fact that, you know, it seems like the most archery hunts, you know, it doesn't really happen and right until the last, you know, week or so. I know it varies from unit to unit. Um, in your mind, what's your thoughts about the archery dates you know, I know there's some people that love the dates because they can actually pattern a bull and tree stand them and, you know, uh, you know, get them before they make their big move to the rutting grounds. What's your thoughts on the dates? Uh, I'm, I don't love the dates. I mean, they're, it's a hard time to hunt a, a big bull. It's definitely a hard time to keep track of one bull and hunt him consistently because, like you're saying, they're starting that transition from where they've summered into where they're going to load up and, and start to rut. Um you know, I had a, a tag in 2010, an archery tag, and I, I hunted a bull. You know, I, I saw him every day I scouted that unit, so 18 days in the summer, and I saw him on opening day, and that was it. That was the last time I ever saw him. So it's it's dang hard to keep track of, of a bull, a big bull that you scouted. 
uh, it's almost a month long, and, and you probably you might need the whole month to be honest to, to find some success. It can be pretty dang tough. It's really too early to get into any kind of real rut action. So, you know, September 14th, it's going to end. You might just starting to have some bulls starting to bugle and, and get into a little bit of a rut, but it's pretty tough. I would say if you know you're a diehard bow hunter, certainly the odds are better. Um, I would say really focus on, unlike you're saying, that first part of the hunt, trying to, to kill a bull that you've patterned all summer. Uh, or I've had pretty good luck hunting, you know, wallows. So areas that first week of September where those bulls are coming in to, to wallow. They're starting to feel a little bit frisky. They're starting to wallow, but they're not rutting yet. That can be a good spot for ambush. I want to go through unit by unit and kind of have you talk a little bit about, you know, trophy expectations, what you should expect and what have you. But before we do that, um, Utah also has a unique opportunity for guys that want to archery hunt in these limited entry units. You can also come and buy over-the-counter spike and cow archery permits. I believe it starts on the same day, that August 18th, and then I think it would end, what, seven days? So it would be, I guess, September 7th, uh, seven days before the end, which is sep uh, September 14th. Um, for those out there listening, I get a lot of emails, you know, I want to just go hunt an elk. I just want to get an elk, you know, whether it's a cow or a spike. In your mind, I mean, granted, <laughs> here I am piling, you know, 50 million people into the state of Utah, so the residents are probably going to be mad at me. But it does create an opportunity where you can go hunt every year with your bow in Utah in these best units. Yes, you have to kill a cow or a spike. You can't kill a you know, branch-antlered bull. But for someone that just wants to be out there and hunting, it's a pretty good opportunity, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and you can buy that permit over the counter. They're unlimited. Uh, you can either harvest a spike or a cow with your bow. Uh, I know a lot of guys that are have been applying for years, and they kind of want to use that as a, a scouting method, you know, prior to them drawing a big bull permit. So they'll come out and and buy a spike permit and go and hunt their unit where they plan on drawing a big bull permit so that they at least get an idea of the lay of the land and start to get the, you know, kind of a gist of where the elk are on, elk are on, on that unit during the bow hunt. So it's a, it's a good opportunity, I can say, is having, you know, a big bull archery permit. It can be a little bit um, frustrating when you're being crowded a lot of the times by these guys that are just <laughs> like their cows. So I'm not going to say it's, it's, it's definitely something you ought to take into consideration if you do draw an archery uh, limited entry uh, elk permit. You're going to have some company. Yeah, for sure. When I drew that beaver tag, I definitely saw some over-the-counter spike in cow. It, you know, it, it's definitely something that uh, I'm, I'm sure is a sore subject for those that, that draw those limited entry permits. And I'm not saying at all that I think, you know, if you, if you truly wanted my honest opinion, I think, I think it kind of, you know, takes away from that person that's, you know, waited 18 years or whatever to draw that tag and they got, you know, cow hunters over the counter, unlimited, you know, and spike hunters everywhere. You know, everybody's got a cow call and a bugle around their neck. Um, but on the flip side of that, for someone that just wants to go hunt every single year, I mean, they need to add Utah to the list. I mean, you could have an over-the-counter Colorado archery elk tag and have an over-the-counter uh, Utah, and you could shoot two elk every single year. So for, 
I hear all the time, oh, there's no opportunity out there, there's nowhere to hunt. Well, I mean, that's kind of bogus in my mind because, I mean, every year you could buy a Colorado and a Utah um, and, and, you know, kill two elk every single year if you got serious about it. Yeah. I, I tell guys all the time, I'll have guys that will call in and, and say, you know, I, I haven't drawn a permit anywhere in years. I can't find anywhere to hunt. And, I mean, there are just, there are literally so many opportunities to, to put a permit in your pocket and go hunting, whether, like you're saying, whether it's, you know, Colorado over-the-counter, archery elk, or, you know, Idaho. Idaho has some great opportunities. Um, and then Utah. I mean, Utah spike or cow, like you're saying, it's, you know, it's not as grandiose as, as hunting a big bull, but, it might give you an avenue to scout your unit that you might potentially draw a big bull uh, tag in and, and really get to, to know that unit, and it might pay dividends at that point. So there's definitely a lot of opportunities to, to go hunting. For sure. I'm looking at um, go hunt um, draw odds here, and I'm just going to go, I'm just going to name the unit. I want you to just spell out a couple sentences about the unit, about the trophy quality, Anything that comes to your mind, if, if, if it's a unit you don't know much about, feel free to say skip. Um, but kind of interested in, you know, kind of expectation, trophy quality, you know, if someone hunted hard, what, what they might be able to pull out of it. So let's um, start here. Obviously, it's in alphabetical. Beaver East. Uh, great unit. One of the, the best premier units in the, in the state. Uh, always going to kill a few big bulls. Um, you know, fun archery hunt, got some rough country, and if you're willing to work hard, you can definitely kill a big bull on the beaver. Um, quick question about the beaver, kind of middle ground, you know, everyday type of, you know, seeing bulls in the what to what in your mind. Uh, as far as trophy range? Yeah. Uh, I would say, um, you know, up to 380 potentially, um, and maybe even better. You, you never know. There could definitely be a 400-inch bull on the beaver on any given year. Uh, I would say if you're willing to hunt pretty hard, you'd realistically have a pretty good chance of something in that 340 to 350 range. Um, you know, definitely for those early rifle hunters, they're going to have a better crack at it because they're hunting with a gun during the, the heart of the rut and have a chance to look over a lot of bulls. Uh, but I would say, you know, 350 is realistic. Yep. Brook Cliffs, Little Creek. Ah, oh, Fawn Hunt. Uh, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. That's such a little, it's a little hidden gem, just a, a neat little roadless unit that sits right there in the middle of the Brook Cliffs. Uh, you'd have to either backpack or horseback in. Probably one of the best uh, archery rut hunts. So, you know, those bulls don't see nearly as much pressure as a lot of the other units do, so they tend to rut a little bit better in there early. Um, as far as trophy potential goes, you know, maybe something up to 360, 370 class, uh, but just a, a fun hunt with a lot of elk. Is that a unit that, you know, potentially could get better bugling just because of the lack of pressure? I mean, I talking so. about the archery hunt? Yeah. I, I think so, yeah. I think that uh, that unit is a little bit more, definitely more removed than most units in the state, and you definitely have to either being on, on foot or horseback, and just given the nature of that, I think those, those elk see a whole lot less pressure, and they do tend to, to rut a little bit better. I had a, a bear tag, spot and stock bear tag in that unit a couple of years ago, and, and I haven't seen elk rut like that in Utah anywhere. <laughs> Oak Cliffs, Bitter Creek South. Ah, 
you know, big unit, tons of country, um, really, really neat country. You've got some giant canyons and and some pine plateau ridges and a lot of sagebrush. Uh, chance to look over a lot of elk. Uh, as far as trophy potential, it's probably not what it was back in the heyday. They definitely killed some big bulls back then. I don't think it's it's nearly as good as it was. I would say something in that 340 class probably for that unit. Cash North. Uh, Cash North, unfortunately, just seems to be on the decline. Uh, I was looking at the age class uh, data that came back, and like average age was like less than four, like three something. So we're killing a lot of young bulls. Uh, there's some remote country in that. You got a lot of wilderness. You got that Mount Naomi wilderness. Um, I would say, you know, if you don't have many points and you don't have uh, expectations of killing a giant bull, that might be a decent uh, opportunity for you. Better draw odds, but definitely a tougher hunt and, and definitely not the maturity or the trophy potential in most units in Utah. Cash south. Uh, better than the north. Um, you know, more elk, uh, but again, it seems to be struggling a little bit as far as trophy potential goes. Uh, I would say it's kind of in that middle ground. Uh, if you've got, you know, a decent number of points, it has a little bit better odds than, than some of the premier units, and it can offer a pretty good hunt. I would say that would be a fun late hunt. So late rifle could be a fun hunt on that unit. Uh, when I was going to school up there to Utah State, I spent a lot of time hunting sheds and always came across uh, a few 340 to 350 type bulls, so I definitely know they exist in that unit. So that late hunt could be a fun one there on the cash south when those bulls pull off into those, those canyons that you can, you can glass. But uh, overall, you know, average, average uh, trophy potential, average draws. Cash Meadowville. Uh, mostly private. I would say avoid that unit unless you've got an uh, outfitter agreement in place that you can hunt that. And if you do, it can be a pretty good hunt, but otherwise I would say avoid it. Central Mountains Nebo. Uh, pretty good hunt. Um, a lot of elk, some steep country, some remote country. Uh, trophy potential, I would put it right there in the 340 to maybe 350 class for you know, the top 5 or 10% of the guys that hunt that. Uh, most guys are going to go home with like a 300 to 320 class bull, but there's definitely potential for something a little bit bigger. Central Mountains Manti. Uh, Manti has our biggest elk herd in the state, so a lot of elk. Uh, opportunity for a big bull, just given the fact that there's so many elk. Um, really neat country, kind of your classic elk terrain with those grassy meadows and canyons and aspen and pine. I mean, it's a really pretty unit with a lot of elk, fun hunt. Uh, I would say that 350 is probably the high mark on that unit. Uh, they don't manage that unit for, for giant bulls. I mean, it's mostly, uh, I want to say, five-and-a-half to six-and-a-half-year-old type of bulls. Um, but definitely, you know, they'll, they'll kill a good bull out of that every, every now and then, so maybe 350-ish as far as trophy potential goes. I'm looking here at the insider um, draw odds, and it looks like on that hunt, it's uh, 13 points is 100% success uh, draw, and 12 points is an 8.3%, and 11 points is a 7.7. Uh, Fillmore Pavant. Uh, great unit, and, and I think getting a, a, a bit better. You know, back to those glory days of the Pavant, um, you know, they haven't killed 
those giant bowls like they did during those those years that we talked about earlier, but it seems to be getting a little bit better. A lot of bowls, and I would say a, a 380 type of bowl is definitely a, a potential, you know, a possibility there on the Pavant fun hunt. Pavant was always one in the heyday that was always at the top of the list, and it seems like it's kind of fallen back a little bit, and then I'm starting to hear about it uh, again. Is there any one particular thing that happened, or is it just the cycle of the unit? I think it's just the cycle. I think the permit numbers have stayed, you know, pretty close to what they were. Um, it just seems to be it's, it's having a little bit better bulls lately, and I don't know. I don't know exactly why that is, Jay. Um, it just seems like they're they're killing a few better bulls in recent years. It's always been good, but it, like you said, it's not like it was, you know, in in those late in those early two thousands when it was just amazing. LaSalle. Uh, another fun hunt, I would say, you know, trophy potential, maybe up to 350, um, you know, a good number of elk, fun hunt, but just, you know, not, not a, not a premier hunt by any means, but just more of a fun type of hunt. The Monroe. And when you, when you talk about fun hunts, the Monroe <laughs> comes to mind just because they have such a good population of elk and a good number of bulls, uh, I would say that trophy potential up there is, it's you know not what it was. You know when they killed the spider bull, obviously that was a a giant bull, and there for a couple of years they had a, a couple of 400 inch bulls that were calling that unit home. It's definitely not that type of unit. Uh, I would say up to maybe 360, 370 potentially, but uh, uh, just a fun hunt. I mean, great access all over that unit. Uh, they typically rut pretty good up there as well, so if you're an archery hunter, it could be a, a great hunt. Um, it's going to take a pile of points to draw, though. Mount Dutton, something you don't know anything about. I don't, I don't know anything about the Dutton. <laughs> you grew up on that unit, didn't you? Yeah, that's my favorite. I mean, I, I spend more days up there than anywhere else, and, and I love that unit. Um, you know, a lot of people just call it the rock pile because it's mostly just rocks. But, uh, you know, giant fire in the early 2000s that burned a bunch of that country. Um, I would say that unit's getting better. Uh, a few years ago, they increased the age class objective, and consequently, they reduced the number of permits for that unit. And I would say in the last two years, it's definitely starting to, to pick up, and I'm seeing a few better bowls. Uh, great late hunt. So if you're looking for a late, you know, that November rifle hunt, um, I, would, I would say take a hard look at that. Uh, a lot of that fire-burned country that is uh, south and east-facing slopes off that uh, east side of that unit. And a lot of elk tend to flock to that east side of the unit, and, and it can be a great late hunt. I mean, that's a unit that bulls come from other units to winter there, correct? Yeah. Correct, yeah. It, it tends to suck some elk from the Monroe and then also the uh, the boulder. They tend to wander over there onto Mount Dutton and spend the winter. So it's a, a great late hunt. Tough archery hunt, but a phenomenal late hunt. And there's no sheds there, guys, so look elsewhere for sheds. There's definitely um, not, not any sheds on the Dutton. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> nine Mile Anthro? Um, I, I don't know a ton about the Anthro. Um, I did talk to a guy last year for a long time uh, who said that that hunt can be pretty dang good late. Uh, he said that some of the best bulls on that unit they kill on the late hunt and that those elk come off the top and they end up out in that desert country and... 
he said, you know, don't, don't, uh, you know, don't worry if there's just no trees at all and it's just straight sagebrush and, and desert country. He said, there's some big bulls that pull off into that type of terrain, so that might be some food for thought if you're looking at a easier to draw late hunt. North slope, three corners. Uh, that's another one that I, I don't know a ton about, Jay. Um, I know that it's decent. I mean, pretty average trophy potential, maybe up to 340, 350. But as far as, like, the ins and outs of that unit, that's one that, that I don't know a ton about. Oker Stansberry. Uh, Oker Stansberry is one of those units that's an opportunity type of hunt. Um, you know, not a lot of trophy potential. Not a ton of elk, uh, enough elk that you'll probably find some success. You hunt pretty hard. Uh, it's mostly rolling sagebrush and oak and, and PJ type terrain. Um, I would say, you know, if you're not hung up on trophy potential, it could be a decent option. And, you know, maybe look at maybe 320 to maybe 330 type of bull. Penguin Lake. Uh, Penguitch Lake will be interesting this year because, like I said, they had that huge fire here uh, this last year. Uh, I think there's still a good number of elk up there. I think there's still some great bulls. Um, it could be a, a great uh, archery hunt, open up some of that country. The Penguitch Lake has always been pretty tough to hunt just because it's so thick up on top. Uh, a lot of the bigger bulls were actually killed on the late hunt on that Penguitch Lake, and, and previously I would say that that late hunt has probably been one of the best hunts for the Penguitch Lake. Uh, but where we've opened up so much country this year, it's definitely become a whole lot more glassable, and it could be a, a pretty good early season hunt. Um, as far as trophy potential goes, I'd put it right there in that 350, you know, 340, 350 type of range. Um, you know, they definitely don't manage that unit for as old an age class as some of the some of those other units, those premier units like the beaver, but it's it's a pretty good hunt and, and definitely a chance for a nice bull. You think that fire could suck some of those bulls from the beaver over there and maybe they won't come back over? I think it could. Yeah, I definitely think it could. I mean, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump from the south end of that beaver unit that circled the mountain country, and they've always killed a number of really nice bulls off it. And, uh, yeah, it could definitely pull some, some bulls into that country for the winter, and they just may never make it back. The Pontagant for elk. Uh, Pontagant, I would say uh, opportunity type of hunt. So if you don't have very many points and you're not hung up on trophy potential, um, maybe think about the Pontagant. It's low country, so mostly pinion and juniper and sage. There are a few bulls up there in the, the higher elevation, but not, not a ton. Uh, not a very big elk population, so they definitely don't manage for a lot of elk on that unit. Um, I know that last year they killed one big bull up there, and he was kind of the one big bull that everybody knew about, and I don't think that there's a ton of uh, recruitment coming back in there as far as nice bulls. So, you know, maybe up to 330, I would say. Um, you know, I would not pass a 330 bull in the Pontiac. Looking at the Go Hunt Insider, it looks like 11 points is a 100% guarantee for that archery tag. Uh, Plateau Fish Lake. Yeah, the Plateau Fish Lake. Is, yeah, it's, it's very similar to the Manti. I would put those kind of in the same box with each other. Uh, giant elk herd, second largest elk herd. Um, definitely one of the biggest in the southern end of the state and, and a lot of elk. Uh, I would say if you're willing to hunt pretty hard, there is a chance for a 350 type of bull. 
Uh, for the most part, though, guys are going to go home with something in that 320 to maybe 330 class. Uh, I have a couple of good friends that live over in that Richfield area, and those guys scouted their tails off this last year and, and both killed nice bulls on opening day of the archery hunt. And, you know, the biggest of the two was in the, in the 340s, which is a, a great bull. But, um, you know, a fun hunt, lots of elk, beautiful, beautiful terrain, aspen, pine, rolling meadows, just classic elk country. The boulder. And the boulder's as good as it gets in Utah, I think, hitting the San Juan. Um, we already talked a little bit about it, but you've got some thick terrain up top, um, a lot of canyon country off of both sides. Uh, I would say take a hard look at the late hunt. Uh, that's the hunt that my wife drew. Uh, I looked over, I want to say, 35 bulls in three days. Uh, we hunted the west side of that unit and had the whole place to ourselves. Uh, she killed a, a, a great bull. Uh, the late hunt doesn't take nearly as many points as it does some of those early hunts, so maybe think about it late. Um, but just a, a great hunt all around and, and the potential for just an absolute monster. The San Juan. Uh, San Juan, similar to the boulder. Um, just, you know, some, some giant bulls, and I think we, we kind of touched on it. But, yeah, just a, you know, one of the top two hunts in the state. Uh, worst odds, best hunt. <laughs> <laughs> South Slope, uh, Diamond Mountains. <clears throat> um, you know, that's another one I don't know a ton about, Jay. Uh, I, in fact, I probably won't even touch too much on it other than all I hear about it is the, the trophy potential is pretty average, so maybe something in that 330 to 340 class, but that's, that's about all I know about that unit. Southwest Desert. Uh, interesting unit, the Southwest Desert. Um, you know, it used to be phenomenal as far as big bulls. They killed some giants out there. I would say in the last several years, it's been down, and, and they really haven't killed that many bulls that are even north of 370 that I can think of. Uh, I would say it's a fun hunt. You'll see a lot of elk. They're, they're over-objective as far as elk go. Uh, but as far as trophy potential goes, I would probably put it somewhere in that 340 to maybe 350 range. Um, tough archery hunt. It's really hot out there in the southwest desert early, so you know, plan on sitting water. And uh, from everybody I've ever talked to that's had a permit out there, most of those elk are, you know, they're 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 in bed, you know, 20 minutes after light, and they don't get up until almost almost dark. So it can be a pretty tough hunt. Um, I would say maybe you know think about the late hunt out there. Uh, a lot of a lot of country to look over. It's pretty glassable, so. Could be a good hunt, but just not the trophy potential that it was maybe five or six years ago. Wasatch. Uh, Wasatch, a lot of elk up, up there on the Wasatch. Uh, I would say it's a pretty tough hunt. Uh, a lot of those big, steep, nasty, oak-filled canyons. Um, trophy potential I'd put maybe in that 330 to 340 class. Uh, they will kill a few bigger bulls. Uh, but you're going to see a lot of elk. Um, probably see a lot of people too, because that's where our our population base here is in Utah, is along that Wasatch Front in Salt Lake and, and Utah County. So, you know, plan on seeing a lot of people. <laughs> um, but yeah, just just kind of a fun hunt, but not not necessarily a ton of big bulls. West Desert Deep Creek. Uh, West Desert Deep Creek is another interesting one. They uh, increased the age class objective of that unit a few years ago and bumped it up into that seven and a half, eight inch, or excuse me, eight year old. Uh, age class, and, you know, they used to kill some big bulls out there, too. They haven't really done in recent years. I think with the reduction in permits, you'll probably start to see a few better bulls. 
that's similar to that West Desert. It's really hot country, low land. You're talking mostly pinion and juniper and sagebrush. Uh, reservation out there, and, and they do have some bulls that tend to cross back and forth between that country um, and the reservation. So it could be a little bit of a frustration, but it can also be a you know a bit of a benefit if you can can get a bull uh, that wanders out of there onto onto public land. But I would say, you know, right now currently maybe 350 up to maybe 360 potentially. Um, I would probably say it's a better um, you know mid-season like muzzleloader or early rifle hunt than it is an, an archery hunt, but you know, potential for a big bull, but uh, pretty tough hunt and, and possibly going to get better in the future, I would say. Let's talk a little bit about um, the muzzleloader hunts for elk are after the archery hunts and after it goes archery, then the early rifle hunts, and then the muzzleloader hunts. Um, what are a couple of units that you would say are a great muzzleloader hunt Obviously, the early rifle hunts, you know, I would assume you would say, um, you know, the, the boulder, the San Juan, the beaver, you know, et cetera. But is there any muzzleloader hunts that jump out at you that, you know, you, you think would be, you know, the best muzzleloader hunt or a, a, maybe a sleeper that maybe is just, for whatever reason, better on those little bit later dates? Uh, I would say maybe that book clips Little Crick, so that's that roadless unit. And I mean, it's not a it's not a sleeper per se by any means. But given we already talked a little bit, but given the nature of that terrain and it's so remote, and, and you do have to backpack or go on horseback, they do really rut really hard in there. And uh, it would be a fun, fun muzzleloader hunt. Uh, I was actually in there during the muzzleloader hunt, and I remember the one night. There were probably 16 different bulls on this one face and probably 200 head of cows, and it was just an, an absolute mixer out there on the muzzleloader hunt. So, you know, that one would be a, a fun, fun, fun hunt uh, if you were to draw it. Um, I would actually say maybe the other one might jump to me, and I can't, I'm not, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'd say maybe the Dutton could be a fun one. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't want people to be up there on the Dutton, but... <laughs> but uh, <laughs> But uh, it could be a really well, fun hunt. You're only allowed um, on the Dutton if your name is Kreitzer. That's right. <laughs> um, but I, I think that one would be a lot of fun. Um, it, there's getting to be more elk up there, and, and I definitely see an improve or improving quality up there the last few years. So, uh, having been up there, I was up there a couple days during the muzzleloader deer hunt this year, which is the same days as that uh, muzzleloader elk hunt, and, and they were definitely screaming and going bananas. And, you know, that was everything from up on top uh, to down in those canyon country, even down into the, the PJ and the sage. So I'm going to say I'm gonna say those two. I'm going to say the Dutton and that little prick. That's the little prick. Good stuff, and, and you already said for late hunts, um, I heard you say look at the Dutton, look at the Boulder. Um, are there a couple other units out there for late hunts that, you know, would maybe be um, higher on your radar than some of the others? Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of noted already, but the Penguin Lake has been a pretty good late hunt. Uh, they've done a lot of habitat work on that Penguin Lake on the winter range, and there's definitely a lot of bulls that pull into that country, and... For several years, the biggest bulls that have come off that unit have come out of that late hunt. So I would always say the Penguin Lake late 
Uh, a couple others I might throw in there uh, I think are intriguing might be like the fish lake. Uh, it's going to be an easier permit to draw, and they've killed some big bulls on that late hunt uh, on the fish lake. They pull out into some of those lower ridges, and, and definitely they'll kill some nice bulls on that late hunt. Um, I didn't mention, but I probably should, is that Utah has actually got, uh, I don't know, maybe a handful of units where they've incorporated a mid-season rifle hunt. So it's going to be uh, October, and it's actually going to take place the same time as the over-the-counter uh, spike general season, uh, which can be a little bit frustrating uh, if you draw that permit, but at the same time, it takes a whole lot less points to draw that hunt uh, than it does, you know, either the early rifle or muzzleloader, and uh, you get a chance to go out and, and hunt those units. And, you know, I've, I've talked to people, and I mentioned this hunt to them, and I say, hey, maybe you ought to think about this October, mid-October hunt. And, you know, straight away they're put off by the number of spike hunters that are, you know, liable to be in the field. But at the same time, I would say, I would say utilize those guys. I mean, everybody and their pet dog that's out there hunting spikes you know, if you walk up and say, hey, I've got a big bull tag in my pocket, they're going to point you in the direction where they've, they've seen a big bull. So, Yeah, because all the spike hunters see all the big bulls. You just ask them, they're like, oh, I can't find a spike, but I've seen giants everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had that It's happen. true. Had, I, yeah, and I, I'm, not, I'm not kidding or being, being facetious by any means. I, I've definitely had that happen. And, and I would say if you don't have a ton of points, think about those mid-October rifle hunts. Yeah, it's good stuff. That's good stuff. Well, man, we've covered a lot of ground. I really appreciate your time and um, really, really get a lot of value out of this, you know, the strategy articles that you write for Go Hunt for the Insider. And you can tell, you you know, you put a lot of effort into it. Uh, and your team there, you know, you guys just do a phenomenal job with all this data. And it truly takes, you know, you, you talk about, you know, geeking out and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, it truly takes someone like yourself that's super detail-oriented to, you know, analyze and pick through and, you know, then offer up those strategy articles like you do, you know, in the application strategies. Um, so just hats off for the great work you guys are doing. And and um, uh want to ask you, do you know, uh, are there any more shows that you guys, you and the Go Hunt crew are going to be at uh, moving forward, or is show season pretty much wound down for you guys? Yeah, show season is pretty well wrapped for us. That Salt Lake Expo was the last one for the year. Uh, we may try to run a couple of guys up to Boise for that uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers rendezvous that they're having this summer. Uh, and we might go up there and be a part of that. But uh, as far as like the actual shows, we're, we're done for the year. Okay, and then I want to end on obviously being, you know, one of the guys that, you know, your head of research and such with, with all these Western states. How do you specifically use the insider across the Western U.S. here to maybe find some of those hunts that maybe slip through the radar? I mean, give me some of the... Give me, give me your take on how you use the data um, because it's very comprehensive data. I mean, the, the charts and the tables and the way it's presented is very, very easy to look at. But how do you specifically search in different states and use the insider effectively? Yeah. So, I mean, for our members, uh, hopefully they'll know what I'm talking about. For guys that are kind of interested in what Go Hunt does, um, 
we have this this platform, Go Hunt Insider, and I would say for me, uh, I jump into that filtering 2.0, which is a filtering system where uh, you can basically pull up a state and a species that you're interested in. So I'll, I'll give you an example. So for uh, Colorado coming up, I've been working on that strategy article, but for Colorado, um, you can pull up mule deer. It'll pull up every uh, mule deer unit in the state of Colorado, and then in the space of about 30 seconds, I can actually filter out for the type of hunt I'm looking for, um, or you know, I can explore options um, that I may have not even known existed. Uh, but typically for me, uh, what I'll do is I'll scroll down and I'll put the number of points I have in. So I've got one point this year, and I'll plug that in, and I'll just drag that filter bar over to the 100% odds. And I'll actually see those units filter down to just the hunts or the units that I could draw with my one point. So I'll start there because, you know, for me it's most important to, to know where can I actually, you know, put a permit in my pocket and go hunting. Where is my opportunity? Um, from there, I might start using the uh, season filter. So I might be able to sort by, um, I might sort, sort by archery or muzzleloader or maybe that third season rifle permit if I've got a window of time there in November that I can go and hunt. Uh, and I'll start looking at those units that I can draw for each, each individual weapon or season. Uh, from there, I might drop down to the harvest success tab and dra drag that over and start to explore those opportunities of where harvest success has been pretty good. And then for me, um, you know, last I go up to that trophy potential and, and start to monkey with it and drag that bar over and see where the, where the trophy potential falls for each one of those units that I've kind of filtered down to. Um, you know, like I said, first and foremost for me, I'm, I'm not as concerned about trophy potential. Uh, I'm more concerned about if I can put a tag in my pocket and then, you know, harvest success and then, you know, if I do my part and I do my work and I scout my tail off, I think I can come up with a pretty good animal. So that's kind of how I use it. Um, I also use these app strategy, art, you know, articles. I, I go through these with a fine-tooth comb and I start pulling out data from, you know, like for Wyoming, for example. A lot of people don't know this, but their game and fish agencies, they put out what they call a job completion report. And all the different agencies uh, or different uh, areas they put out these reports, and there's all kinds of like little hidden gems, like age class of the you know the bulls that were harvested that year. There's all these little cool tidbits, and so I try to incorporate those into these app strategy articles. So, you know, for our members, I would say really dig down and get into the nitty gritty. And I know, I know they're long. Um, I had a, I'll just tell you one funny story. I had a guy call me the other day, and and I was walking him through an app strategy article, and. He kept scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, and finally he, he's like, holy crap. He's like, who has this much time to put this thing together? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, it's put part of my job. But, <laughs> but uh, I would say, man, there's some really I try to I try to pull some stuff into that that I think you know those little hidden nuggets that are really be applicable to our users and and really try to give them you know some neat little things that they can pull from. So I would say definitely utilize those and utilize that filtering 2.0 and and then just start start exploring the the individual unit profiles to kind of find something that works best for you. Good stuff, man. You guys do such a great job and. I uh, want to remind the listeners, uh, when you sign up for GoHunt.com Insider, if you use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a $50 uh, GoHunt Gear Shop uh, gift card. 
Um, Trail, did you hear about uh, me drawing dull sheep in Alaska in the Chugach? I did not hear that. Congratulations. <laughs> so I have a, I purchased a tag in the Northwest Territories for, um, at Arctic Red River and was planning dull sheep hunt uh, the, on the first hunt there uh, in July. And I went ahead and applied for Alaska, you know, because you never, I mean, you're never going to draw two dull sheep hunts or get two dull sheep hunts <laughs> in one year. And I drew the Chugach. Um, I drew uh, Peters Creek and I'm the only non-resident tag. So <laughs> I have two doll sheep tags in my pocket for this summer. <laughs> Man, I went from thinking, yeah, I went from, you know, was completely shocked that I went ahead and bit the bullet and, and you know, went on the Northwest Territory hunt, and then I go and draw it. And it was funny. I told my yeah. wife, I said, hey, what would be better than having one doll sheep um, hunt? She goes, <laughs> Having a, having a stone sheep hunt? I go, okay, well, you, yeah, you got me there, but what would be, I said, I drew in Alaska, and she was like, isn't that the same sheep you're already hunting? I'm like, yeah, it is, actually. Man, uh, that's crazy. That's pretty so, crazy. Are those uh, August then? Uh, it's actually August 23rd. I got the second hunt. It's August 23rd through yeah. September 4th, I believe, so uh, hey, pretty dang neat. I'll have, thanks, I'll have about a month uh three weeks or so after uh, my Northwest Territories hunt. So it's, uh, I'm going to go from a complete newbie doll sheep and hopefully if everything, Lord willing, if everything works out, I'll have two doll sheep uh, after this summer. Yeah. So pretty, pretty dang neat. Yeah, that is neat. I'm, the only thing I'm sitting on so far is just a Utah deer tag. Is, and that, like I said, I just have done dedicated hunters. So, so far that's it. But I've, I've got a pile of applications in already and, and we'll see where the cards fall. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, buddy, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to go through everything so detailed with us and um, wish you the best of success there on, on your Arizona apps. And obviously, you love hunting New Mexico every year. And so um, hopefully, hopefully you, you, you know, draw your tags that you want and um, uh, just keep up the great work. You guys do such a great job over there at Go Hunt and, um, you know, the detail between you and Brady, just so detail-oriented, it's it's awesome stuff. I just appreciate it. Okay, we we appreciate uh, all that you do, and we're glad to be on. And thanks for having me on today. It was fun. Yeah, and I need um, a suggestion for the uh, Go Hunt videos. Uh, I want to have a shoot off between you and Brady with your bows. Oh. Yeah, gladly. Let's do it. <laughs> have Lorenzo and Chris put an apple on their head and then have them just keep going out in distances. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't. I don't know if I'd take that one, but definitely we can. We could do. A, maybe we do a field day. We've got a great range up here in Cedar City. In fact, I was up yesterday shooting, and and today it's snowing. But yesterday it was you know fifties. But yeah, maybe we get all those guys to come up and we do a field day and and see what. Uh, See how, how good Brady is. Yeah, well, we've thrown down the gauntlet right now, so I guess we'll. I guess it'll have to come to fruition if 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 he if he backs down from it, then we know he's chicken. <laughs> I, don't back, I don't think he'll no, back down. <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of back down. I can say that um, uh, you have no chance in if if we're doing a, a beard length uh, growing contest. You might as well uh, just stay home because he he can win that easily. Man, I 
I cannot. I tell you what, I would grow <laughs> one if I could. I, I don't. I, I don't. Do you know Jeff Baird there from St. George, the, the yeah, Baird, Baird, Baird oil guy? Do you know him? Yeah, he's got he, squirrels. He's got squirrels hanging out <laughs> in his beard. So he's become a, a you know a good friend of mine, and and we get to chit chat every now and then. But every time I see him, I just I feel like I'm. I'm ashamed in my, in my okay. beard. Unworthy, unworthy. I'm, un, I'm unworthy, and, and Brady's cut from that same cloth. That guy can grow a beard, I think, overnight. I definitely can't. Yeah. Right on, buddy. It's great talking to you. Thanks for your time. Uh, God bless you, and I'll see you down the road here. Likewise. All right, buddy.